Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you so much for all these praises this morning, Lord. We praise you for all the blessings that you give to us. And Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, and Lord, the, the truth that is in your word. Father, this morning, as we dig into your word, I pray, Father, that you will open our hearts and open our ears to hear the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, we are continuing our uh, sermon series in the book of Acts called Jesus' Mission Continues, and we're looking at uh, disciple-making in the early church to figure out what lessons we can learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, we're in Acts chapter 20, and we're getting in one of those big chunks that I kind of warned you about. Um, it's verses 17 to 38, and this is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And in this passage, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the motivation for our lives. The gospel is your motivation. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the motivation for our lives. In it, in the gospel, you will find your Savior, your calling, and your defense. So again, in the gospel, you will find your Savior. In the gospel, you find your calling. And in the gospel, you find your defense. Now this morning, my delivery is going to be a little bit different. Normally, I like to read a small chunk and then preach a little bit about that chunk and then read a small chunk and then preach a little bit from that and then read a small chunk and preach a little bit from that, and then pull it all together at the end. Well, this morning is going to be a little bit different um, because it is a, it's a speech from Paul. It is one unit, and I didn't feel like it was right to take it apart like that. Um, so I'm going to read through the entire thing. Now, let me tell you the reason that I don't normally do this is because I don't like to read out loud. I don't like the way that I sound when I read out loud. I feel like I stumble over words. And Sunday school this morning was a testament to that. Um, and so I don't typically like to do that, but this morning, this big chunk kind of is one unit, and so I wanted to keep it all together. Um, so I pray for you as you have to listen to me read. <laughs> um, so we're going to pick up right there in verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. Well, pause real quick. Last week I said that Paul was trying to hurry on his way to Jerusalem so he could get there by Pentecost. Now this, uh, this passage, he's saying that he had gone, continued his mission, and that took him over past Ephesus, and now he's heading back to Jerusalem. And as he's heading past Ephesus, he doesn't want to stop there because he knows that he's going to be tempted to stay there for longer than what he has time for. And so he just continues on his way. So he stops at a town near Ephesus and calls the elders of the church over to him. And so now we get into that nice long speech. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. When they, I'm sorry, uh, 22. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Verse 25, and now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from your own number and distort the truth uh, to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Uh, Verse 32. Sorry, I'm behind, ain't I? Verse 32. Yes, this is one big speech from Paul. Um, And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the end of his speech. And then we got a couple of little finishing notes here. It says, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They remembered Paul, or sorry, they embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Like I said, that's one big speech there with very few notes from uh, Luke. Um, I, I don't like to read big chunks like that, but I kind of felt it was necessary to get that whole speech in in one um, chunk. Now we're going to go back and hit a couple of highlights in there. The first one I want to highlight is where Paul is talking about the faith in our Lord Jesus. He says that he testified to both Jews and Greeks about this faith. Now that faith, now I'm uh, sorry, I'm starting here because for Paul, this is where it all starts. It all starts with faith in Jesus. This is the cause for everything else that he is saying. This is the cause for what he is doing and everything that he is saying. See, Paul is talking about the gospel. We have to remember that our salvation comes by faith. Our salvation, Paul is reminding them that their salvation, the salvation for anyone, comes by faith, not by any works that they do, that they can't earn their salvation by doing anything. It's by faith. You know, I use the three circles gospel presentation a lot, and I talk about that brokenness and how we all try different ways to fix the brokenness in our lives. That's a lot of people trying to earn salvation by their works. But we can't fix that brokenness on our own. It is only through faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, in his victory over sin and death. By believing in that, Not just a head belief, but a heart belief that leads to a a life changed by that. That faith is where we get our salvation. But even after salvation, we must continually come back to the gospel through faith. Because we cannot outgrow the power of the gospel in our lives. When we start to think that we have outgrown our need to depend on the gospel is when we start to go back to that idol of me. We have to continually go back to surrendering to the gospel day in and day out, every moment of every day of our life. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I continually testified about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. Now he says that he testified. So I'm going back a little bit. He testified, right? So this is Paul's mission. We see Paul everywhere he goes, he is talking about the gospel. He's explaining the gospel. He's telling everybody he can about the gospel and about about their need for the gospel, and about what Jesus can do for them. You see, Paul was a Pharisee, and he hated the church, and he was going around to different cities persecuting Christians. And then in Acts 9, when he's on his way to Damascus to do that exact same thing, to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to take them back to Jerusalem so they could be tried and probably killed for their faith, when he's on his way to Damascus, 
He's confronted by Jesus. And Jesus reveals that he is God to Paul. Jesus reveals to Paul that he is God. And during this time, during this interaction, Paul gets his calling. Well, Jesus sends Paul onto Damascus and then calls another disciple named Ananias to go to Paul and to pray over him. And Ananias is a little bit scared because he knows Paul's reputation. But Jesus says to Ananias, but the Lord said to him, go for this man, Paul, go for Paul is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You see, from this point forward, Paul's life centered around that calling, that he was going to go to the known world and share the gospel with everybody he could. No matter what persecutions came to him, he was going to do this. This was Paul's calling on his life. And he was answering that call because of who he believed Jesus was. Since he believed that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, when he gives a command, then the only option is obedience. Now, the same is true for us. If we are disciples, if we call ourselves Christians, that means that we are saying that Jesus is Lord. And when he gives a command, we do what the Lord says. He's not just Savior, but he is also Lord. So when he gives a command, we do as he says. The only option is obedience. Now, the mission for Paul was to spread the gospel, and it centers around one thing, his faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, it's the same thing for us. Because Jesus gave us the command, the Great Commission, to go and, sh- and make disciples of all nations. So Paul's calling was to go to the Gentiles and share the gospel. Our calling is the same, to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to come back to that point in a little bit. But this is what Paul is talking about here when he says that he testified. It was his faith that led him to testify. But, um, sorry, but not only his motivation for testifying, because look at what he says next. He says that I consider my life of no value to myself. I consider my life of no value to myself. Now, this sounds pretty similar to something else that Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's a pretty popular verse right there. A lot of people know that one. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, that means, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So what Paul is saying here, when he says, my life is, is of no value to me, I consider my life of no value to me, or here when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's saying that as long as he is living, his purpose, his mission, is to carry on Jesus' calling in his life. As long as Paul is alive, his purpose is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. Like I said earlier, the gospel leads to our purpose. For Paul, that purpose was to carry on Jesus' mission, that specific calling on his life. Right? To live is Christ. He says that he, Jesus came with a mission, and that was to glorify God by redeeming humanity from slavery to sin at the cost of his life. Paul's mission was to, to spread the news of that, to spread the gospel. When he says to die is gain, this is simple. As a disciple, when we die, we go to heaven. We go to be with God for all eternity. Now, Paul says, I'm longing for that. But for as long as I am here, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. 
And that's what he's talking about next. He says, my purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus. Our purpose as a disciple is completely tied to who we say Jesus is. I hinted at this earlier. I'm going to say that again. Our purpose as a disciple is completely tied to who we say Jesus is. Right? For Paul, he called Jesus Lord. And therefore, when Jesus gave him a mission, he did it. Obedience was the only option. When Jesus gave him the mission to spread the gospel to the Gentiles' kings, um, he, he knew his only option was obedience. For us, it's similar. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Okay. Can't see that at all on the backboard. I, I didn't know if you could see it up here. Yeah, so Jesus gave us the Great Commission, and that is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, that means that you are calling Jesus Lord. If we call him Lord, then when he gives us a mission, we do it. That's the only option. Obedience is the only option. If you are a disciple, you are called to be a disciple maker. And that's why our vision here at Victory is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our vision is tied directly to who we say Jesus is. If we say he is Lord, then he has given us a mission. And that mission is what we strive for, to make disciples. Again, our vision is worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this all ties back into what Paul says next. He's talking about the whole plan of God. That whole plan of God. We recognize that each and every one of us play a part in that whole plan of God. But none of us, we are not the star player in that plan of God. We are not the main character in this story. The whole plan of God, right? This is the whole Bible. It tells one story. And that story follows four epics. And the first part is creation, that God created the whole world. God created the whole universe to reflect his glory back to himself. God created the universe to be a perfect reflection of his character and his person. But we look around and something has gone wrong. That's the fall. This is because of sin. Because of sin, creation does not reflect God's glory in the way that it is supposed to. We see a remnant of God's glory in creation. When we look around at the beauty of nature, we see that remnant of God's glory in it. When we look at other people and we see some bits of the character of God in them, it's because we are all created in the image of God. Unfortunately, we don't reflect that image back to God as well as we should. That plays out in many different ways, but a big part of that is our broken relationships with each other and our broken relationships with God. So is there any hope? Yes, there is hope. This is that God sent a rescuer. God sent his son Jesus to rescue us, to redeem us from our slavery to sin. Now that's the third epic. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story happens with restoration. At the end of the story, God will come back to this earth. Jesus is coming back and he's going to restore creation to the way it was in the beginning. A perfect reflection of his character. For those of us who have faith in him, we will be part of that perfect restoration of creation. This is the whole plan of God, and each and every one of us recognize that we play a part in that. And when we are sharing the gospel, when we are making disciples, we have to make sure that we're including this whole story of God. It's not just that Jesus came to die for our sins. Because when we talk about, and when we only talk about that part, it sounds like divine child abuse, that God killed his son. 
But when we recognize that this is because God loves us, that God created us, and he is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and we broke our relationship with him. If we don't lay out the need for a rescuer, then people don't see that need. They know it in their hearts and they feel it in their lives, but they don't recognize it. We have to make sure that when we are sharing the gospel, we are giving the whole gospel. Now, it doesn't always have to be the whole thing every single time. But throughout um, being in relationship with somebody, you have the opportunity to give the different parts of the gospel story. The whole plan of God. Unfortunately, though, as um, the second epic here, when it's talking about the fall, even after the rescue, we still feel the remnants of that fall. We still see people who are living in that fall living in that sin. And that's where we see this next part that Paul is talking about. He says that savage wolves, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Now these savage wolves uh, are people who are coming in to tear apart the church. Paul recognizes that the church will be attacked. And most of these attacks will not be easy, and they will not be polite, and they will not be mild. When he uses this term, savage wolves, this is a strong term. You see, in Jewish culture, a dog was an unclean animal. In Middle Eastern cultures today, most dogs are not, um, they're not pets. They're wild dogs. They're feral dogs. And they go around and they're eating trash. And they're, they're scavengers. They are very dirty animals. In Jewish culture at this time, it was the same way. Dogs were not pets. Dogs were filth. Dogs were dirty. They were ceremonially dirty as well. They were um, unclean animals in the the Jewish religious system. And so when Paul is calling them savage wolves, that's not a compliment. Well, even when he's using that word savage, he's showing that they have no restraint. They have no control over how bad it's going to get. So Paul recognizes that the church will be attacked, and it will not be polite or mild. He describes them in this way for a specific purpose. Now, most of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament are written to churches for this purpose. They're written to churches to defend against these savage wolves, to defend against these people who are coming in and distorting the truth. This is something that we as believers must still be aware of. So how do we combat this? How do we fight back against this? Because it's still happening today. What do we do to fight back against it? Well, we have to know their tactics. We have to know what, this, what these savage wolves are going to do, how they're going to attack. If we're going to defend, we have to know where the attack is coming. And Paul tells us exactly what that is. He says they're coming in to, distort, to distort the truth. They're coming in to distort the truth. All right, so if this is their tactic, we know their tactic, then we know how to be prepared for it. We can identify the savage wolves. If they're coming in to distort the truth, we can identify them as they come in. In other places in the Bible, they're called false prophets. We can identify them and know not to be lured away by their false teachings. How do we do that? We focus on the truth. If they're coming in to distort the truth, we have to focus on the truth. As a believer... We talked this morning about spiritual disciplines. As a believer, one of the most important spiritual disciplines that we can have is to be in the Bible constantly, to be reading the Bible and studying the Bible constantly. If we know the truth and we know the truth well, it takes the power out of their tactics. Like I said, for this reason, it is important for believers to study the Bible. 
it is important for you as a believer to be disciplined in your Bible study. See, it starts with reading. And if you don't have a daily reading plan, that's a good place to start, is to get into reading the Bible. Now, I use uh, my phone, I use a, the, the Bible app, and it has daily reading plans in there. And so you can go in and subscribe to a plan, and it will give you something to read every day. There are some plans that are pretty intense. You know, if you're trying to read through the whole Bible in a year, you're looking at three or four, maybe five chapters a day. It's very doable, but it's, it's pretty intense. There are other reading plans that are much simpler. You can have a week-long reading plan or a month-long reading plan or one that's just a few days. They have different ones that focus on different things. If you're looking for uh, a reading plan that's focused on prayer, there are some of those, and they highlight prayer in scriptures. If you're looking at uh, reading plans that focus on Jesus' life, those are there as well. So as a believer, part of your spiritual maturity starts with reading the Bible, but it doesn't stop at reading the Bible. We have to study it, not just read it, but study it. You have to dig down into the word to find the connections between different parts of the Bible, to find areas that seem like they might be contradicting, but figure out how God is making this all cohesive. It's more than just a document. The Bible is more than just a document. It is the most important document that we will ever read, but it is more than just a document. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God revealed to us, the story of God and how He relates to His creation. See, if we look at the Bible and we read it with a human-centered eye, then we're misreading the Bible because the main point of the Bible is not humanity. The main point of the Bible is God. The main point of the Bible is God and his character and how he relates to us, not us. We are not the main character of the Bible. God is. So as the pastor, it is part of my job to train the members of this church to study the word, to know how to study the word. It starts with reading, but it doesn't stop there. It's why I've put together the Bible study methodology that we, we've used on Wednesday nights. I've gotten some feedback on that, and I'm trying to figure out ways that, to make it maybe a little simpler to use. I haven't quite figured out any yet, but I'm working on it. <clears throat> Sorry. We've used that Bible study methodology to go through several books in the Bible. Now, if you are uncomfortable with it, or if you're unfamiliar with it, or if you just want some more practice with it, we're going to be using it again starting in September. We're going to go through the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a shorter book, um, so we'll probably be able to get through that in a month or two, probably closer to two months. Um, We'll spend a little bit of time in Ruth working on that Bible study methodology. If you want practice in studying the Bible and hearing the thoughts of other believers and discussing it with each other, this is a good place to start. These Wednesday nights in September, it's going to be at my house at 630. We're going to go through Ruth. So we get to our application the application, so what lessons can we learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ? First, to know. Know who you are and who Jesus is. Because who you are and what you do is directly related to who you say Jesus is. If you believe that Jesus is God and he is the Lord of the universe, then that changes who you are. If you believe that Jesus was just another good teacher in history or another prophet, then that's different than believing that Jesus is Lord. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, then what he says carries heavy weight. 
If we believe that Jesus is Lord, if you call him Lord and Savior, then your mission is to make disciples. So know that if you call Jesus Lord, then your mission is to make disciples. The second part of this application is to be disciplined in your Bible study. If you don't have a daily reading plan or a daily reading routine, start there. Start with just a chapter a day. Unless you're looking at Psalm 119, you might need to break that up into two or three days. It's a pretty long one. But usually a chapter a day is pretty easy to do. So start there. You can start in John or Matthew. I wouldn't suggest starting in Revelation. That one's pretty confusing. But start with just a chapter a day. But don't stop there. You've got to dig deeper. Don't just read the Word. Study the Word. Again, like I said, one easy way to get started with this is our Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're going to be going through Ruth. Um, finally, the doing, right? We talked about Jesus being our Lord means that we are disciple makers. If we call Jesus our Lord, then we are disciple makers. That's our calling. And if we are studying the Scripture, we're learning the Scripture, one way to be a disciple maker is to share the word. Share the word that you are learning, that you are studying. As you're reading it, think, how can I share this with others? Or as you're living your life, as you're going about your daily routine, think about those scriptures that you studied or you read that morning and how that might can apply to different people's lives. As people are talking to you in conversation, those, uh, those points that you read from scripture that morning might come up and you can bring that scripture into that conversation. So share the word is an easy way, is an easy, is an easy application or an ex, uh, extension of these first two application points. Know who Jesus is that defines who you are. Be disciplined in studying the Bible and then share what you learn from the Bible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you so much for the truth that is in your word. I thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us that you have given it to us. Father, I pray this morning that your message will sink deep into us, that we can recognize who you are as Lord, that we can use that as our purpose in making disciples. And Lord, I pray that you will give us a, a desire, a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our response time, and you can respond right where you're seated, or you can come to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.